Well, good morning, God. Praise God. It is an honor to be before you once again. The last time I preached, I guess I did okay because Joel invited me back. So I guess everything worked out okay. I am an honor to be in front of you. Again, I, am, I stand before you not worthy uh, of this, uh, this opportunity. But I thank God that he chooses men like me, uh, sinner saved by grace, to stand before you and be a vessel yielded uh, to him. Uh, so I'm glad as I was sitting down there, my, my nerves started to kick in. But that's a good thing. That means that the Holy Spirit is about to kick in. So whenever I get nervous, the Holy Spirit is right there ready to take over. So uh, let us go before uh, the throne of grace. Pray before we dig into the word. Father God, uh, I thank you for this opportunity again to use me uh, as your vessel to bring forth your word, Father God. Uh, there's nothing that I have done to deserve uh, this opportunity. Lord God, this is your choice uh, for me, Lord. And I humbly yield myself unto you. Lord God, uh, to bring forth your word. So may your word be spoken with clarity, Lord God, with understanding, and most importantly, with power. And Lord God, may it touch the lives of everyone under the sound of my voice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Uh, I'm going to be coming to you from, <clears throat> forgive me, I just got a little cold here, uh, coming down, I mean, uh, getting over a cold. But I'm going to be coming to you from Second Peter. Uh, Chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. <clears throat> and just when you have it, just say amen and I'll, 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 I'll uh, get into the word. Again, that's 2 Peter, chapter 1, <clears throat> verses 1 through 10. And it reads, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus, of, of, of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. So that through them you may be participant in the divine nature. And escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The topic and the title of, of my sermon uh, will be Under New Management, Spiritual Growth in Christian Maturity. Amen. Under New Management. Growth in a Christian's life is essential. Without it, we will find ourselves stumbling in despair and sin and rendered ineffective in our Christian walk. And with Christ, Satan wants to keep us 
from growing, so he does everything in his limited power to keep us stunted and living in sin. Peter gives us a recipe for spiritual growth and Christian maturity. It's up to us by the power of the Holy Spirit to follow the recipe precisely in order for us to grow as God wants. During World War II, uh, there, was business, uh, there were business owners who were ravaged by the war, the bombs going off all around them and everything. But after the businesses were ravaged by bombs during World War II, the owners would often clear away the rubbish, sweep it away. And then they would place a sign out in front of their business that said, business as usual. When God saves us, his desire is that we put out a sign that says, not business as usual, but under new management. There are many Christians, a many number of us Christians in the church today who have had their spiritual growth stunted by sin and immaturity. There is nothing more shameful than a Christian who has been saved for 10, 15, 20 years still attempting to learn Psalms 23 or, 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 or the books of the Bible or, uh, or, or still saying the prayer, the grace, God is gracious, God is good. We need to have been if you've been saved for a number of years, you should be able to move on from those things, but still hold those things tight. But we should not be still just trying to do those type of things. We are no longer babes in Christ, but we need to be growing spiritually. So your knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ needs to be more advanced. If you've been saved 10, 15, 20 years, you should still not be stumbling through Psalms 23 but you should be trying to, to memorize the, the book of Revelation or, or, or the epistles or, or moving on in your life, you know? So sometimes we get stunted in our growth and our immaturity. During this letter, Peter was writing to believers. He wasn't writing to sinners. He was writing to believers, warning them against the false teaching. If our faith is real, it will be evident in our behavior. If people are diligent in their Christian growth, they won't backslide or be deceived by false doctrine and false teachers. God desires for us to grow spiritually and has given us all we need to experience spiritual growth. With, with the Holy Spirit's help, we can overcome sin and steadily become more and more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the question I have for you today and myself is, are you growing in the grace, the knowledge, and in the image of Jesus Christ? Or, or, or is your growth stunted by sin and despair? So let's get into the word. In 2 Peter, again, chapter, I mean, 2 Peter chapter 1, we start in verse 3. As the, as the break it down, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Whatever God, God desires for us, He will equip us. Whatever He has a desire for us to do, He will equip you to do it. He will give you the tools. God is not going to say, go build the house, but you got to find the hammer and the nails. He will give you the equipment and the tools that you need to grow spiritually because that is God's desire for his children. He does not want us to be 
babes in Christ forever. Eventually, we have to be toddlers in Christ. Eventually, we have to be children in Christ. Eventually, we have to be teenagers in Christ. Eventually, we have to be young adults in Christ. Eventually, we have to be adults in Christ. And eventually, we have to be elderly in Christ. There's a spiritual growth that we start from here, and it leads eventually to uh, being uh, a seasoned Christian. So he will give us everything we need. His divine power. And what Peter means by here by his divine power is just as his power saves us in the first place, so he has the power to energize us to live holy lives. So in simple form, the same power that saved us is the same power that keeps us. So then we move on to see that we have everything we need for what? For life and godliness. See, first there's life, then comes godliness. You can't have it reversed. You can't have godliness and then get life. No, you have life, then godliness. The gospel is the power of God to save from the penalty of sin. And from that same power, it saves us from damnation and defilement. First life, then godliness. Jesus said that I came to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. Now, that abundant life does not mean cars, houses, money, bank accounts, jewelry. That's not the abundant life he's talking about. The abundant life he's talking about is that holy, godly life. When he says, I come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly, that means I come to give you life so that you can abundantly live for Jesus Christ and for God. Also, uh, in the, continuing in the verse, it says, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Knowledge of him who has called us. What does it mean to have knowledge of him? That means to know him. To know him is eternal life. And progress in knowing him is progress in holiness. The better we know him, the more we become like him. To know Jesus. There's a certain meaning here in the scripture that says to know Christ. When we know someone, we are intimate with someone. Intimacy in the scripture does not mean lovey daddy cuddled up in the bed together. No, intimacy in the scripture means that I know you. The example I like to use is between a husband and wife. Not in a sexual way, but I know my wife. My wife knows me. There's an intimacy there. She knows how I think. She knows how I move. I know her likes and her dislikes. That is how we are to know Christ. God, we need to be one with him. We need to know him. That's what that means, the knowledge of him. To know him is eternal life. Many people have knowledge of Jesus. Satan knows who Jesus is. The demons know who Jesus is, but they're not intimate with him. They don't know who he is in an intimate way. And in order to have that intimacy with Christ, we have to have that abundant life, that life that only he gives us through salvation. Amen. Our calling uh, in, 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 uh, in Peter is one of Peter's actually favorite themes Throughout his writing, he refers to our calling a lot. What does this mean? Uh, uh, called, to be called is to be called out of darkness into his marvelous light. 1 Peter 2.9, we are called out of our sinful state and into, the, in, into a marvelous light of Jesus Christ. Then we are called to follow Christ in a pathway of, pathway of suffering. 1 Peter 2.21, the Christian life, ladies and gentlemen, is not an easy life to live. We are called to suffer as Christ suffered. We have a pathway of suffering. If you've been saved for a number of years, anybody in this room, you have experienced some type of suffering in your life. And if you haven't yet, guess what? It's coming. It's coming. But how will you deal with it? 
then we are called to return blessings for insults. We are to turn the other cheek. That is not easy, ladies and gentlemen. I myself have a difficult time of turning the other cheek. I'm a fighter. I don't like being insulted. I don't like being persecuted. I don't like being talked about. I feel as though in my flesh, the minute you do, I'm coming after you. That's just the Baltimore City in me. Also, my mother, she raised a fighter because she too fights. In a godly sense, though. So, yeah, we are, but we are called to return blessings for insults. And I still struggle with that. I'm honest with you. But I'm trying. I really am trying because I know that we have, we, I, I, I've been called to live a certain life. Then we are called, this is a good thing, we are called to his eternal glory. 1 Peter 5.10. We, when we have been called by glory and virtue, what this means is that God called us by revealing to us the wonders of his person. A disciple testified, I looked into his face and was forever spoiled for anything that was unlike him. Do you know what that means? When you experience Christ on an intimate level, when you experience Christ on the level that he wants you to experience him, you are spoiled for anything else in life. There's nothing else that can compare to the glory and the presence and the joy and the love of God. Once you have entered into that presence, it's hard for you to be pulled out. It should be. Anything else will uh, fail in comparison to what Jesus is. He said, I was forever spoiled for anything that was unlike him. Meaning nothing else in this world. My, uh, your marriage, your children, your bank account, your job, nothing else will ever stand up to being in the presence of what it's like to be in the presence and have an intimate knowledge in, in, in a life with Jesus Christ. And then in verse 4, Peter talks about through these he has given us these very great and precious promises. It is estimated that there are at least 30,000 promises in the Bible. And I'm going to go over 29,999 of them right now. <laughs> nah, I just don't. <laughs> we don't have that much time. But at least, at least 30,000 promises in the Bible. But there, in my studies throughout my time as a Christian, and, and, and some of uh, things I've been taught, I, I know that there are at least three specific promises that God makes. Uh, and that, that three specific promises there are in the Bible. God has made specific promises to first Israel. Sometimes we as Christians, we try to dip into those promises that belong to Israel. They don't belong to us. They belong to Israel. I see a mistake by many Christians just going into Deuteronomy, going into Exodus, pulling out promises that were meant for Israel. Know your Bible doctrine, people. Don't come to me saying, oh, the Lord is going to give me this because he gave me this. No, that was specifically for Israel. Okay? Specifically for Israel. That could be, if you want the verse, one of the verses is found in Exodus 6, verses 6 through 8. God has given specific promises to the church. Now we're talking. Now we can begin to claim those promises because we are the church. We are the body of Christ. We are one, the local assembly, and the greater body of Christ, uh, the church. So yes, we can begin to claim those promises that he promises to the church itself. You want to know what that is? You can go to John 14, verses 1 through 4. That's a promises. That's a promise specifically made for the church. And then there are specific promises 
to individual believers that you can, you can claim. Jesus said, if I go, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, that you may be also. That's a promise for the individual believer. You can claim that promise. You can claim the promise that God will be with you in your time of need. Because he said that. You can claim the promise that, uh, that once you confess your, uh, confess your sins, God says, I am faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. You can claim that promise. So that's for the individual believers. But also in the midst of those promises, God also has made promises called conditional promises as well. Found in Rome, one of the conditional promises, God gave me an individual in my life, an individual conditional promise that if I did this, he in turn will do this. But one of the conditional promises is found in Romans 10, 9. It says that, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Note that salvation comes after the condition is met. Repentance and acknowledgement of Christ as Lord is mandatory. It is not optional. You can't come to faith in him any other way. So that promise is met. That's a conditional promise. If you confess with your mouth. It's if there. So that's a promise of a condition. And once the condition is met, God, that, again, that promise kicks in from God. Because you know God is faithful in his promises. He's not like, man, we promise something? Eh, a little sketchy. But God, when he promises something, you know it's coming through. Promises that relate, these are some of the promises that relate to a life filled with holiness. A promise that God will, that, that there's a freedom from sin's dominion. Found in Romans 6, 4, 8. We know that we are no longer bondage. We're no longer slaves to sin. Because we are free in Christ. God gives us a promise that his grace is sufficient. You know, his grace, God said, my grace is sufficient. What does that mean? For the longest time, I, I struggled with that scripture and saying, Lord, what do you mean your grace is sufficient? Sufficient means it's just good enough. Like, it's, 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 it's just good enough. But then the Holy Spirit revealed to me that what he means by that, by says his grace is sufficient. God is not going to give you grace, enough grace, to battle a, a hangnail in your finger. He's not going to give you that same grace that if you are going through the loss of a job. If you're going through the loss of a job or the loss of a loved one, that grace is sufficient to go through the loss of a loved one. It's not the same grace as if you stumped your toe. It's a different type of grace. He will give you that grace sufficient just enough to get through the pain in your toe, but he'll also give you enough grace to get through the loss of a spouse, the loss of a job, the loss of a child. That's what he means, his grace is sufficient. It's sufficient for what you need. He's not going to pour on you more grace than you need for a specific time and place. God is perfect and precise in everything he does. He also gives us the promises that we, the power, he will give us the power to obey his commandments. Something in Philippians 4.13 the promise of victory over Satan. Christ defeated Satan. So we also have that same power to defeat him as well. He said he will give us the he promised us a way of escape from temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, you all know the scripture. He promised us a way of escape through temptation. We all have temptation. And I like, and I picture a way of escape from temptation is that when, when temptation is coming at you and your back up is up against the wall, you look to your left, you look to your right, you don't see a way of escape. You're backing up against the wall, you're backing up against the wall, all of a sudden, boom, you hit a button, there's a trap door. You fall right through it. You escape the temptation. That's how I picture God's temptation. When everything is pressing on you, 
the, the weight of temptation, you're sitting there in your office at home with your laptop open or, or, or with, 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 with the bottle of alcohol sitting there and that temptation to, to go into it and just begin to, uh, uh, to dig all up in the sin and let sin take over. But then at the last moment, when you feel as though you get ready to give, give in, there's a way of escape right there. God said, I will make a way of escape so you won't have to fall into it. God promises to forgive us our sins when we confess our sins. 1 John 1, 9. Then he promises a response when we call him. When we are in our need and we call upon the Lord, expect a response back. There's an old song, and many of us old-timey Christians, we may know it, it's called, or call them up and tell them what you want. Sean Bell, you know about that song. My mama, you know about that song. Call them, we should sing it on the choir. Call them up and tell them what you want. You'll never get a busy signal. God will always respond to his children. Whenever you are in need, you just call out, Lord Jesus, help me. I need you right now. You don't ever have to worry about God not hearing your call. You don't ever have to worry about God not responding to your call. He sees you when you're in need, and he will meet you in your need, in your moment of despair, in your moment of temptation. He will meet you there. That's his promise to us. Now we're going to dig into the recipe for spiritual growth in verses 5 through 7. And I'm going to read that again just so we can be reminded of what Peter is saying. For this very reason, Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. See here now Peter now is listing the ingredients that we need for spiritual growth. What is spiritual growth? Spiritual growth is the processes of becoming more and more like Jesus. Another word for that is sanctification. When we place our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins the process of making us more like him, conforming us to his image. How is spiritual growth done? This is the meat of this. In order for spiritual growth to occur, you first need to make sure you possess a true spiritual life through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. 1 John 5, 11 through 12. When you believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And you are a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has gone and the new has come. Your old nature, which is dominated by sin, is replaced with a new nature that is under the influence of God's spirit. Spiritual growth can only occur in a person who knows the Lord Jesus Christ as his or her savior. I love the scripture in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, as anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has gone and the new has come. The old has gone and we still have that, that old sinful nature. And I, and, and I like to, I was sitting there thinking as I was studying, how can I compare to make this a real life application? And it dawned on me, uh, idiot, use yourself. <laughs> you see, the old has gone and new has come. As Joel mentioned last week, and because, no, I am a sneaker head. It, it, it's, uh, it's kind of crazy a little bit almost. I, I don't even know how many pairs I got. But it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's a little crazy. I gotta, actually, I need to pray about that sometimes. 
Like, Lord, I should be doing better things with my money than buying all these sneakers. But it's kind of like when uh, I, I, I done went on StockX and I done found the new pair of OG retro Jordan ones, colorway the bread joints. It's sweet, right? Pay it. I'm like, oh, finally got them. Here they come, UPS man come. Boom. Leave them on the door. Here we go. Yeah, got them sitting right there, right? But yet, and the scripture reminded me, the old has come and the, the, the old has gone and new has come. So I got these brand new OG Jordans, right? But yet, I'm still walking around in these scuffed up, soul coming off, uh, 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 dirty, disgusting New Balance, right? Nothing wrong with New Balance. For people who wear New Balances, nothing wrong with New Balance. I got to tell myself. But they're just old, and they scuffed up, and they dirty. But you know what? They're comfortable. Right? They comfortable. Like, yeah, I can, yeah, I broke these in. These feel good. But yeah, on this side, I got the brand new retro joints. Right? Sitting right over there. But instead of going over there to put them on, I want to keep on my old, comfy new balances. That's broken in. I want to keep that old nature on. Why? Because we love our sin. Our sin makes us comfortable. So I'm like, yeah, this is comfortable right here. The sin, yeah, oh man, broken in. Woo! Brand new. So the new right there, that's what God's saying is put on the new. Look at these. You got the retro joint. Throw off that old, dirty, disgusting, sinful habit. And put on a new life filled with joy and peace. It's right here. You all get the picture? That's what spiritual growth is. Learning how to grow spiritually is a lifelong journey, which occurs as you read and apply God's word to your life. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 teaches us, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In order for the spiritual growth to occur, we must be taught, we must be rebuked, we must be corrected and trained by God's word. Then, we'll be, then we will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the essence of spiritual growth. Sometimes we lack in our devotional experience sometimes. How do we grow spiritually, people of God? This right here. God has given us everything we will ever need in these pages to live a holy spiritual life. Every instruction Right? Uh, uh, Wu-Tang, one of my favorite rap groups. They had a, uh, a, 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 I forget what you call them things, the acronym or something, I can't remember, where it said Bible, B-I-B-L-E, ba basic instructions before leaving earth. Huh. The rap group gets it. Why can't we get it? If a rap group can, a rap group can get what that means, why can't we as Christians get what that means? This is the basic instructions before leaving earth. Everything we need to live a life that is holy and pleasing unto God. It gives us, it gives us training. Right? It gives us rebuking. And correct, it corrects when we do wrong. It rebukes us when we, it brings our wrongs to our knowledge. Rebukes us. Then it corrects us. Then it trains us. The word of God is awesome. Awesome. Sometimes I don't spend enough time in it. Maybe that's why sometimes I lack in my spiritual growth. Because I don't spend enough time in this word. I don't know about you, but I lack in that area of my life. Another key to Christian growth is walking in the spirit. Galatians 5, 16 through 18, 24 to 26 explains, So I say, live by the spirit. And the word right here, walking in the spirit, simply means a way of life. I believe Elder Art, 
did that on Bible study one time. This means a way of life. You're walking in, with the Spirit and in the Spirit. So I lay live in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh and the desires of that old sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are always and always will be in conflict with one another. So that, you know, why is that? Because so you won't do what you want to do. We all have a desire. Those who really know Christ, we have a desire to follow Christ. I'm not going to, no. If you know Christ, you have a desire to follow him. That is your desire. But see, Satan ain't going to allow that desire to just blossom. He's going to fight it on every turn. It's always going to be a war. The day we stop warring with our flesh is the day we get a new body. That glorified body. That's the day when the war is over. But until that day, you're going to be in a battle every day. Because you have the desire to grow. You have a desire to live for Christ. You have a desire for that peace and that knowledge and that love to love your brother. But I'm going to tell you right now, one thing, God will, I mean, Satan will not allow that blossom. I lost the point. Right, I got it. So again, they are in conflict with each other so that not, you will not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the sinful nature with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. My great, late great-grandfather preached a sermon one day, and the title of the sermon was, Feed the Spirit, Starve the Flesh. Feed the Spirit, Starve the Flesh. And what he meant in that sermon, what I got out of that one day was, and what he was saying is that whatever you feed will live. Whatever you starve will die. Daily. We have to starve our flesh daily. And how do we starve our flesh? Right, well, goes right back to this. Get it into that word. Chewing on that word, meditating on that word, living this word. If you do this, the flesh dies, a piece of it dies every single day. And you find yourself walking in the spirit, walking as God has commanded you to do, living that abundant life that God has given you. Feed the spirit, starve the flesh. Walking in the Spirit is allowing, is allowing him to fill you, control you, and guide you. This is brought on by consciously choosing by faith to rely on the Holy Spirit to guide you in thought, word, and deed. Failure to rely on the Holy Spirit's guidance will result in a believer not living up to the calling and standing that salvation provides. Ephesians 4.1 says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Let's look at this real quickly. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. We have no worth. The scripture says to live a life worthy. What has the worth is the calling. We alone have no worth. We are unrighteous people. Live a life worthy of what the calling that you have received. You have been called to salvation. That salvation is, that's something precious. That's worthy. We, we come to Christ with no worth. So we have to live a life worthy of that calling. We have a lot to live up to. That's simply what that means. 
You have no worth in yourself. It's that calling of salvation. That's the worth. Jesus Christ is the worth. You have to live a life worthy of that. And if you're able to do that, you're on the right track. Please bear with me for one second. Okay. What are the results of spiritual growth? So once now we know what spiritual growth is and how we are to go about it, it should produce a certain kind of result in our life. Spiritual growth is a lifelong process of manifesting the acts of the flesh less and less and producing the fruit of the Spirit more and more. Notice that it is the Holy Spirit who produces the fruit in us. Yes, we must submit ourselves to the Spirit's leading, but it is the Spirit who produces the fruit of the spiritual growth in our lives. What does this spiritual growth look like? You know, in Galatians 5.23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things there is no law. If you are becoming more loving, more joyful, more kind, more self-controlled, then you can rest assured that spiritual growth is genuinely occurring in your life. Now, these things, we are to, you don't work on these things one at a time. There's no such thing as, okay, I got faithfulness now, I'm going to move on to gentleness now. Or I got gentleness down. All right, I can scratch that off the list. I'm going to move on to self-control. It doesn't work like that. These things manifest itself all at one time in your life. You don't complete one task in the spiritual fruit I mean, in spiritual world growth and go on to another one. It doesn't work like that. They all manifest itself at the same time in your life. That's the way it's supposed to look. God works in different people in different ways. Some people grow more rapidly while others grow more slowly in their spiritual walk. We all can't grow at the same rate in our spiritual growth. It doesn't work like that. Joe may grow more further at a rapid rate than I do. Montrell may grow at a further rapid rate than his wife. But Nah, she's saying, nah, it doesn't work. It's the other way around. <laughs> so Jody grows at a more spiritual rapid rate than the elder of the church. <laughs> so good. But the point is I'm making is that you can't look at another Christian and say, oh, I wish I was where he's or she is at in that walk. No, let God and the Holy Spirit cultivate these things in you. And at the time, he will lead, he will grow you up in time. Don't be envious of your brother and sister because they can break down the doctrine of election and you can't. If need be, no, no Psalms 23. Keep practicing on that. Just don't give up. You can't, don't look at your brother. Don't, that's, 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 that's the quickest way to a fall. If you're looking at someone else in their walk with Christ and you're envious of where they're at, Satan will use that against you. And then you will make, he will make you stumble and fall quicker and deeper than you ever thought when you begin to look at another person and envy their walk with Christ. Our focus should not be on comparing ourselves with others, but on comparing ourselves with the word of God. Don't compare yourself to each other. Compare yourself right back to this. Compare yourself to this. This shows you who you really are. That's like a mirror. We're going to get in that in a sec. The scriptures, oh, here we go, right here. The scriptures are the mirror to show us what we are spiritually what we, what we are like spiritually and to shine a light on the areas that need to experience and learn spiritual growth. James 1, 25 declares, anyone who listens to the word 
but, that, but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. This is a mirror. We are to look at this, compare our life to this. Then we will see where we are at spiritually. Not analogy I like to use. Another one, use yourself. I like nice clothes, right? We all do. Matching clothes. I stand in the mirror, especially when I'm going to go somewhere real nice. Boy, boy, like, yeah. Make sure I'm good, right? Make sure my shoes match. Got my, 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 little, my little crop top dress pants on, where you just see like this the top of my ankle, though. You know? Because I got on the, the, the crazy socks, right? Make sure my shirt match. And, and, and I, uh, uh, I look in the mirror, like, all right, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> then I immediately I step away. It's like, like the scripture says, do I match? I go right back to the mirror. Oh, yeah, I'm good. But it's like that. You look in the mirror, and when you, you see what you like, but then as soon as you step away, you forget what you look like. Then you, wonder, then you start doubting yourself. Do my socks match my shirt? Do my pants? And you forget it. That's what the scripture said. The scripture is like a mirror that if you look into it and you immediately walk away, you forget what you look like. This is how we are. Look into this. This will show you what you look like in your spiritual walk with Christ. The Holy Scriptures. Self-control is the controlling power of the will under the operation of the Spirit and God's discipline. In prayer, in Bible study, use of time, curbing the bodily appetite, and sacrificial living. We are to live a self-controlled life in everything that we do. Perseverance. Perseverance is patient endurance of persecution and adversity. The Christian life is a challenge to endure. Christianity is not an unlimited amount of mountaintop experiences. Christianity is not an unlimited amount of mountaintop experiences. We are to persevere. And so I'm sitting there studying, I'm saying, Lord, perseverance. And I'm thinking about perseverance. I thought about my mother. I thought about my mother. And mama, forgive me. But my mother has endured so much persecution, so much backbiting, so much hatred in her life because of, because of her walk and because of her stand for Christ. And it didn't come from enemies. It came from people who say they loved her. And that's what hurts her the most. But you know what about my mom? She's handled it with such godly humility. She has stood in the face of her accusers and those who have persecuted her and ridiculed her and talked about it. And she still will say, I love you. I've seen her do it. And she refuses to do it any other way because she stands for Christ and she will stand for nothing else. Amen. 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 My mother is my hero. Thank you, God, for such a godly mother. And forgive me for my emotions, but that's... <sighs> Godliness. Our lives should be like God's 
there should be such a supernatural quality in our conduct that others know we are children of the Heavenly Father. The family likeness should be unmistakable. The last time I was on this pulpit, I preached about the birthmarks of spiritual growth, the birthmarks of a born-again Christian. So this ties into that sermon. The family likeness should be unmistakable. When others look at us, they should see, oh, he or she is a child of God because we exude godliness in our lives. Brotherly kindness. John 13, 35 says, by this all we know that you are my disciples if you, love for, if you have love for one another. And the God church exudes that every day. Love, love of the brethren leads to love for all mankind. This kind of love is not a sentimental exhilaration to experience, but a commandment to obey. Love manifests itself in giving. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave. Ephesians 5.25, Christ also loved the church and gave. Love is an action. It's just not an emotion. You exude it by giving. God loved us so much that he gave. Christ also loved the church and gave. We are to emulate that in our life. We can show our love by giving our time, our talents, and our treasures for others. Coming up on the conclusion, dipping into my last point here is uh, in uh, uh, verses 8 through 10. Peter gives us a warning and a plea. In the scripture, you see a warning, and then you see a plea not to heed that warning. Right? So, verses uh, uh, 8 through 10, really quickly says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing, increasing measure. It doesn't say possess these qualities a little bit at a time, or just if you, if you possess them here and there. Peter says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure. Meaning, you can have all that you want. I mean, pour it on. Pour it on. For if, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. And, if you, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Ineffective and productive Christians. If in Christianity you are either growing or you are falling. There is no standing still in your Christian walk. Nothing worse than a, a Christian standing on the fence. You ain't moving left. You ain't moving right. You're not moving forward. You ain't moving forward. You're definitely moving backwards. Ineffective and unproductive. If a Christian, you are either growing or falling. There is no standing still. You're either moving forward or retreating backwards. You can become burned and unfruitful that way. Burminous. Only a life lived in fellowship with God can be truly effective. The guidance of the Holy Spirit eliminates burn activity and ensures maximum efficiency. Otherwise, we are shadow boxing and sewing without a needle. You ever seen a boxing shadow box? You ain't doing nothing, man. You just wasting energy. It may look good. I've been seeing people at the gym like, ha, ha, all, making all the noise. You look good, but you ain't hurting nothing. You look, you hurt nothing. And that's what it's like. That's what a burned life in Christ looks like. Doing all the bells and whistles, but ain't really moving along. Unfruitfulness. It is possible to have, it is possible to have considerable, considerable knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and yet be unfruitful in that knowledge. It is possible to have considerable knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and yet be unfruitful in that knowledge. You can know this word back and forth, but if you don't live it, it means nothing. Yeah. 
it means nothing. You got a whole lot of preachers to quote this back and forth. But if you look at their lives, take a fine-tooth comb and really look at it, oh, man. They don't, but they don't believe what they're preaching. These are unfruitful life. The nearsightedness. Here, nearsightedness in the scripture specifies the form of blindness in which man lives for the present rather than the future. He is preoccupied with material worldly things than spiritual things. Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Simply what that means. You're living a nearsighted life. Blindness, a Christian person who lacks the spiritual growth, characteristics is blind and not aware of what is central in life. He lacks discernment and lives in a dark world of shadows. Forgetfulness. This is for the man who lacks spiritual growth. The truth of his redemption has lost a grip on him. He is going back in the direction from whence he came. Calling God's call to election, two facets of God's salvation plan, and I'm going to wrap it up. The election refers to God's sovereign, eternal choice of individuals to belong to himself. There's a whole doctrine on this. I'll let Joe handle that because we can be here for the next three hours. There's a whole doctrine on the, the, the doctrine of election. Again, election refers to God's sovereign, eternal choice of individuals to belong to himself. Call in this passage refers to God's action in time by which the choice is made evident. Our election takes place before the world was made. Our call takes place when we are converted. We can't make our call and election more sure than they already are. God's eternal purpose can never be thwarted. What Peter is referring to is confirming them. He's not saying, make, uh, 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 okay, you got to go through the salvation plan again. He's not telling you to do that. And many people misread that scripture sometimes. Oh, I got to go make sure I'm saved. No, if you truly know who the Lord Jesus Christ is, you don't ever have to question your salvation. What Peter is referring to in making your calling and election sure is, is confirming them by growing in likeness to the Lord. By manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, we can provide unmistakable evidence that we truly belong to God. It's not telling you to go out and go run up to the altar three, four times every time you sin. Lord, save me. Uh, uh, forgive me for I have sinned. He's not telling you. You're saved. Trust in God's salvation. God's power saved you. What he's referring to is just simply manifesting that fruit of the Spirit in your life. That's all he's saying. Making that be seen. In conclusion, growth is essential. It begins with faith and culminates in love for others. To keep growing, we must need to know God. Keep on following him and remember what he taught us. We must remain diligent and faithful, obedience, and Christian growth. A young man was eager to grow in his Christian life. He got a piece of paper and made a list of all the things he would do for God. He wrote down the things he would give up, all the places he would go to minister, and all the areas of ministry he would enter. He was excited. He took that list to the church and put it on the altar. But see, he thought he would feel a certain amount of joy, but instead he felt empty. So he went home and he started to add to the list. He wrote down more things that he would do and things he wouldn't do. He took the long list and put that list on the altar. And again, he still felt nothing. So he went to a wise old pastor, told him the situation, what was going on, and asked for help. This is what the pastor told him to do. The pastor said, take a blank sheet of paper, sign your name at the bottom, and put that on the altar. The young man did, and then the peace of God came into his heart. So what that simply means is that, yes, don't 
sit there and dictate to God how you want to grow. You are a blank slate of paper. Allow God to jot down on that list. And when you allow God to fill that list, then you will grow the correct way. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you uh, for uh, the word this morning. We pray, Lord God, that uh, the word uh, in, in Peter, Lord God, has been a, a, a light to somebody. It's been a blessing unto me in my own walk, Lord God. I pray that your word has went forth, Lord God, and people will realize, Lord God, that uh, there's no standing still uh, in, in your spiritual walk, that we must uh, grow spiritually. If you're not growing, then you're falling backwards, Lord. So I pray that everyone here, Lord God, today will now have a picture of what spiritual growth is really like, and they will mirror the Bible and what their life should look like in the Word of God, Father God, and that they will grow spiritually, Lord God, so that you will bless them in their walk. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.